It's often said that two things in our lives are constant, and that's death and taxes. Whatever unprecedented changes are confronting us now and the economy that we live in, it does seem that death and taxes are the two constants we all have to plan for. Today, we're going to pick up on one of these areas, uh, the one we least like to talk about, which is our own mortality and how we can plan around this part of our investment and life journeys. Now, while we all might like to think that we are invincible, we do have to make sure that we protect and preserve our wealth and minimize the impact of any untimely departure from this world. One way to do this is through life cover, and that's what we're going to be discussing today. My two guests from Investec are the perfect people to help us consider what we do in this very sensitive area. I'm joined by Jonathan Hillier, uh, who is a financial advisor at Investec, also joined by Slentland Lasitomo, head of Investec's life insurance business. Now, uh, Jonathan uh, has been a financial advisor for a, a very long time, helping clients achieve and manage their financial planning goals. A big part of his life is staying fit, uh, or trying to at least, uh, and uh, yeah, certainly does enjoy throwing around some weights in the CrossFit gym. You also might find him at your nearest golf course, uh, chasing around a little white ball around a field until it goes into a hole. He's also married uh, to the most amazing wife. He does say that he's married up, uh, and they have a daughter of nine months, and uh, certainly a gentleman who is very close to his faith and uh, lives much of his life according to the Bible and its central theme. Uh, also joined by Snentlantla uh, Sitomo, uh, who's been at Investec for about seven years or so. And uh, Snentlantla says selling insurance is no different to selling a pack of sprouts. Nobody wants it, but uh, both are certainly always good for you. Uh, he plays some squash and uh, yeah, comes from the small town of Escort out in the Midlands. And uh, yeah, you might uh, certainly see him soon at the uh, Trevor Noah show if uh, you're going to be heading uh, to those parts very soon. So Jonathan and Stentlantla, um, young professionals like ourselves certainly don't like to think about mortality. Um, we also, of course, as uh, many of our listeners in this uh, uh, podcast series would know that uh, some of us younger people certainly have a much greater appetite for risk. So, so why would I want to take all of this much needed wealth into a life cover product, Jonathan, uh, when I could be putting it into a much riskier instrument and probably realizing much higher returns. Thanks very much, uh, Ayabonga, for the opportunity to be on the podcast and chat to you. So I think, um, you know, to your point around the fact that young professionals generally want to hope for the best, um, you know, in terms of living a long, prosperous life, and, and so they should, um, but the saying goes that, you know, one, one should hope for the best, but plan for the worst. And often um, in, in a client considering life insurance, it, it feels like if you're paying for life insurance today, it's a waste of money because, hey, I can look at taking it out in 20 years time when I'm older and it mm. may, may appear more relevant. Um, but to your point around, well, I can get a better return in an investment if I basically self-insure, the truth of the matter is that it would take you many, many years to invest enough money to generate the cover that you would actually have um, in the event of you passing away. So if you were to contribute a monthly premium to an investment, you'd have to probably invest that money for between maybe 40 and 50 years before you actually accumulate 
um, enough wealth in terms of the cover that you may need today. So life insurance or life cover for that matter basically upfronts that cover to you today in the event of something happening to you tomorrow, which would have otherwise taken many, many years to achieve. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you were saying that life cover, certainly for younger professionals, is probably one of the most efficient uh, or cost efficient uh, forms of uh, hedging one of these very, very, I guess, constant risks. And that is the risk that one will pass on or even any other risks, severe illness, uh, disability and so on that might affect one's earning potential. Yes, I mean, when you're thinking about your investment portfolio, it's very, very usual that you look at your expected return versus the risk you're taking. So you're balancing the risk and the return. And insurance, uh, by nature, is one of those most efficient and probably cost-effective mechanisms to include in your portfolio or to protect your portfolio and yourself uh, by better balancing that. So as Jonathan was giving an example earlier with uh, death uh, or life cover benefits, you pay a very, very small premium for a potential very, very large uh, um, uh, payout if something uh, adverse were to happen to you. And for me, I think mm. if you have to consider that as part of your overall portfolio. You do have your other investments in other various uh, asset classes. Insurance is one of those that can really uh, ensure that protection in a much more cost-effective manner in terms of the small premium you pay. But also the second part to the other, the other side of the coin for me is it's not always about death. I think South Africans, we are very, very obsessed and fascinated about death. And we are sometimes overly insured for death uh, um, uh, payouts. Mm. But we ignore and forget sometimes about uh, disabilities and uh, severe illnesses that can happen. And especially if you are a young professional um, in South Africa, you are more likely to, to actually be disabled through a car accident than to die of anything. And that's just the reality. So if you actually protect yourself also for events of disabilities, you're making sure that your investment goals will still carry on even if you're unable to work or unable to look after yourself, but those will continue to be taken care of because it doesn't mean that you're dead. It means that you are just unable to work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you make a very important point. And somebody once said to me, you know, South Africans plan more for death than for any other risk that might unfold, uh, which might mean you're still alive, but... You know, it really, you know, takes a knock on your earning potential. Um, It seems insurance cover in a way does, I guess, two things. The one is the whole sort of hedging element, uh, which is around really, I guess, trying to smooth the risks associated with any discontinuity or shock to one's earning life, if I can call it that, across their working life. Uh, But then there's the other element around the impact that that might have on the intergenerational transfer of wealth were one to die. Talk to me about these two elements, and Jonathan, you might also want to come in here. Uh, one, the hedging side, but also, I guess, the wealth preservation. So, Stentlant, I'll start with you, and then we'll come, we'll come back to you, John, Jonathan. Yeah, so, so I, I think with any, any person, their aspirations will always be a building uh, blocks or, or a journey towards something. So what you find when it comes to financial services or it comes to, to, to wealth creation is that you are building your wealth towards a specific goal or towards a specific uh, a journey. As you go through that journey, typically your life stage is changing. You're also a young professional going to start build, having a family. Kids are going out of to, to, to school, to university, and they're out of your, of your home. And your wealth creation journey is also uh, progressively um, updating or, or growing with that. So what then happens is if something does happen to you that is adverse, because sometimes, as, as Jonathan was saying earlier on, you plan for the best, but 
sometimes sometimes something happens along the way so let's just say there is a, 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 a an accident there is a disability that happens what we speak about when you say insurance can be used as a hedging tool is saying you do have these clear specific goals that you want to retire at age 65 with a specific amount that you can draw an income uh, from or you want to build this uh, uh, property portfolio of x number of properties that will be able to draw an income from in the future or you want to take your, your kids to a university or to uh, an overseas university at some point in, in the future, you are assuming, you make a very big assumption at that point that between now and then, you'll be perfectly healthy. You'll be perfectly able to earn an income and be able to, to, to fund that investment go those investment goals. And this hedging tool is basically protecting that journey and that investment plan so making sure it gets fulfilled regardless of what may happen to you i mean mm -hmm. the worst will be even if you do die no longer around that's when the death benefit comes in but for me it's the building blocks of this hedging tool it's not just one instrument of which is a death benefit it's also a severe illness or what you call dread disease payout you suffer a cancer mm -hmm. you're focusing on your cancer recovery but your investment plan and looking after your kids and your future goals should still continue what you backlink with your cancer and, and probably surviving the cancer. Same thing if you become disabled. So that's what we mean by a hedging tool in using insurance. And then maybe I'll hand over to, to Jonathan to just take, take us through the, the thinking about the wealth preserver because that's later on then once you've created that, that wealth and making it intergenerational. But for me, it's very, very important that we do make a lot of assumptions about um, us being able to fulfill our goals because we look at the market, we look at what we invest in and all, the, and all those nice things, but we forget about what if the worst were to happen to us. Yeah, Jonathan? Yeah, thanks. I think, first of all, it's very important to understand that every person's individual financial planning needs are different. So there's never a, a one-size-fits-all uh, recommendation uh, from a life insurance perspective. And your financial advisor or financial planner needs to understand your personal circumstances before he makes any recommendations. And I, I often see too often in the industry, there's kind of a blanket approach to young professionals in terms of you know the recommendations that are sometimes made. And that's certainly not the case. And I think, you know, to the points that have been made, um, as you are building your wealth, um, that you have a long-term view of that. And you know that, or potentially have a goal of, of achieving X in 10 or 15 years time. What happens if that doesn't uh, come to fruition? In terms of if you get disabled today, if you pass away today, how are you going to protect your legacy? And the best way to do that is through life insurance. For, for example, today you might be a young professional earning a certain salary and you may have some financial dependents um, who require or, or, or are dependents on you providing for them. In the event of X, Y, and Z, what is going to happen to that income? And as I was alluding to, it's different for every person's uh, circumstances. So if you are no longer around or you are uh, unable to earn a level of income, insurance or life insurance is generally the best way of providing for that. That's just one example uh, where life insurance plays a critical role in wealth preservation. Another example would be if you've accumulated some level of wealth, you need to make sure that if you pass away as an example, that wealth is protected. There can be things like estate duty, capital gains tax, executive fees, a whole lot of costs that can come into your estate that would effectively erode that wealth in the event of death. And life insurance or life cover, in this example, would be the best way of protecting your wealth. So those are some 
simple examples that I can give to answer your question. Jonathan, you've touched on something very important there, which of course is that intergenerational question uh, and the implication of all of these risks that we must ensure and hedge against for estate planning purposes. Um, I guess the other element is probably the second constant, which is taxes. Um, talk, talk to me about the tax efficiency just of payouts of the sort, uh, because that's something that often doesn't feature as much in the discussion. So life insurance in terms of the actual payout um, is tax-free across the board. So whether that's life cover, severe illness, disability, or um, income protection payouts are all paid out tax-free. Um, however, from a life cover perspective, depending on who those beneficiaries are will, and the level of payout and the structure of your estate will potentially uh, attract different taxes, um, specifically estate duty, which is a, effectively a tax on death. So the government doesn't only tax us when we're alive. Unfortunately, they also tax us uh, when we pass away. So there, there has to be careful planning specifically around life cover in the event of death because of the potential uh, estate duty implications that can come into play. In effect, at a simple level, at a simple level um, if, any, uh, if your estate is worth more than three and a half million rand, your net estate, it can be... Uh, estate utable at 20% depending on how you've left your estate um, and that can inc include the life cover payout so if your life cover pays out to your estate um, and, and your total estate is, is more worth more than your net total estate is worth more than 3.5 million um, it is estate utable at 20% up to 30 million and then above 35 million at 25% so that's where uh, state duty can come into play and, the, and as I was saying that's effectively a death tax um, that the gov government can levy and the thing is um, if a state duty is levyable on that life cover policy whoever the beneficiary is receiving that policy would be liable to pay that estate duty Mm, mm. You, you mentioned a, a few really important issues which is of course the those who stand to inherit while the payout itself might not necessarily be taxable, there might be some estate duties associated with that as an inheritance tax of sort. Um, and Stentler, this brings me, I guess, to an earlier comment you made, which is we have to think of these elements in holistic fashion. So it's not just about life insurance. There are many other you know, forms of insurance at a product level that would complement life cover as we're discussing it. I'd like you maybe to, just to continue on that vein. Yes, and, and, and I think that's a very important point, uh, Ayabonga, because especially in, in, in early in your career, as a young professional, sometimes you might not have even dependents uh, or, or, or your own children mm. and spouse to look after if something you to die. So it does mean that your needs may also mean that your biggest risk you face is if you are disabled or you are or you, or you are you 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 are you get a severe illness. And I'll also just make a, a quick example for females: the 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 prevalence of breast cancer. I mean, in, in now even in your twenties and your thirties, you are at elevated risk of uh, a breast cancer. Albeit it could be at the lowest lower stages like stage one or stage two cancers, but those could still be expensive in 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 treating them, but also in disrupting your life for a couple of months. Or, or, or a year. And for me, 
if you don't have dependence, as Jonathan was saying earlier on, everything is around your circumstances. If you don't have dependence, you do not necessarily need to be taking a life cover, but you should be focusing on things that are you really expose you financially. And severe illness, for example, and a disability cover are one of those uh, insurance solutions that I think could and should be playing a, a bigger role in South African uh, financial planning and for individuals. And that, for me, is also one of the barriers. I think most people don't understand insurance to its full potential and to its full solution mode because they just think about life cover and death benefits and funeral cover instead of thinking holistically. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, to your point, oncology treatments of whatever cancer really don't come cheap, but we are also seeing many forms of illnesses over and above the non-sort of or unnatural causes of death. But uh, seeing more and more younger people now suffering from strokes, suffering from ailments that we often associate with them, you know, much older people. Um, But to the point that both of you have been making, and I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on this, it does seem to me that this is not just some purchase of off-the-shelf Brussels sprouts, um, but there is a particular level of customization to one's circumstances that must inform the choice at a product level of what one decides on. Jonathan, your thoughts on this, and I'll also like you to come back on this one as well. If it's about getting a customized solution, it does mean that it's not just about picking one product off the shelf, but also about a much thoroughgoing discussion with somebody who can handhold me through this process. No, it is. And it's, you know, life insurance is, it is actually a very personal thing. Um, because you you generally are going down into you know you, you you're questioning a lot of things around a person a person's desires and, and aspirations um, his family circumstances and um, you know sometimes it's it's not the most comfortable thing to talk about especially when it comes to death or any kind of ailment for that matter but it's a necessary conversation and it's our jobs as financial planners or financial advisors to really unearth that in a client and help them participate in that conversation because you know in my experience uh clients are are not wanting to be as forthcoming when when it comes to really expressing what their needs are or what their what their wants are they kind of give you the the generic response um and, and actually you want to try and read between the lines in terms of what they really are saying. And the truth is that that only kind of really comes with time and experience in, in terms of reading and understanding clients and body language. It's not something that you just learn because you learned a, you know, you got a qualification at university. Um, it, to be honest, it really just comes with dealing with people over time and understanding how they operate and, and dealing with many kinds of uh, different uh, cultures and and people and just with backgrounds um, and you need life experience and you need time in the seat um, in terms of seeing people in order to understand all of that um, and and then once you've got a full picture of all of those facets you can give a contextualized financial plan mm, mm. yeah and I, to, to, to add to that I think for me it's also um, looking at um, uh, the complexities that I, I think we'll encounter when you're looking at the insurance solutions in the market. Um, I'll make an example of if, if you already at Earth and you found that you do need a car, you don't just then go out and say, I'll just 
buy any the next car I'll see on on, on, on uh, through the window if I if I go shopping for a car. You then have to look at what is suitable for you. It, you are you looking for a family car? Are you looking for a small car? Are you looking for a fuel efficient car? Are you looking for a performance car? So I, I think in the, in the insurance space it becomes even more complex because of the bells and whistles that you you find in there. But more more so for me, it's also you could potentially buy a product that will lock you in. For example, with an expectation that you're going to be holding this product for the next twenty thirty years, but you actually need a, a product to protect for your 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 family home for the next twenty years. So it might not necessarily be appropriate then to take a much longer product. So all those technicalities about the product, that's where I guess also the financial planner, financial advisor plays a big role into guiding you into which one is more appropriate for you. And that in the end is where I think the cost of not getting proper advice and looking mm. at these uh, products appropriately comes in in the long term because you might be in an inappropriate product. The worst for me would be where on a severe illness or a disability product, you are on a product that really limits your chances of claiming. So you pay for quite a long time, but the chance of, your, of, of, of claiming for you are really, really diminished. So for me, that's really where an average person is not really a specialist in this area. That's where financial advisors mm. specialize in that. So it's not only just looking at your needs and whether you need the car and how much you need, but looking at which product would be more appropriate for you. You know, Statland, Jonathan made a very interesting point earlier on, which is when you speak to somebody, they often give you the generic response. And similarly so, there would be a reluctance to disclose what cover one might have. God forbid somebody might want to, I guess, yeah, realize that cover via liquidating somebody. I hate to use that word. Um, how is that dealt with um, within the framework of how cover is extended? Um, so that kind of risk um, or... I don't know what to call it, perverse incentive of disclosing, not just you yourselves as an advisor, but, um, you know, even to people that might be close to you and have an interest in um, that payout, should that payout uh, materialize for whatever reason. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think Jonathan can also elaborate on this because he deals with the, with the clients on a day-to-day basis. But it's an interesting one because, I mean, on the far extreme end, you, you'll, have a typical, you'll, you'll, you'll have instances where it is a court mm. order that you are divorcing your wife, you need to take care of your wife, there must be a policy. So all parties will be clear about what the policy is, how much it's needed, and it's, it, it, it's all apparent. On the other extreme hand is, is really where a, a, a breadwinner is taking out a specific cover amount. And in, a, in the insurance space, we, call, we speak about the concept of uh, insurable mm. interest. So where you take out the cover amount, sometimes there is a lot of reluctancy sometimes to disclose. To, to the family, how much the cover amount is, or that there is even a, a, a cover in place. Uh, I bet that they actually see themselves being enriched if something were to happen to you. So that's when also the conflicts of interest may arise. So those, those issues do cause some discomfort amongst clients when they think and they, and, and they take up insurance about what do I disclose to the rest of the family and what, do I, or what, what could potentially put me at risk. So what we do as insurance uh, providers is to make sure that we are very, very thorough in the insurable interest, that there is a very, very apparent and very, very uh, justifiable interest, uh, um, uh, insurable interest because if it's not there, it could actually potentially put this client at risk. And then the other side, the other part for me is 
is also what do you do what do we do with the payouts once they once have been made who are the mm. beneficiaries and most of the time it is up to the client to choose uh, who they the, the beneficiaries would be and how much each of, of the beneficiaries will, uh, should take but for me those discussions are pretty much linked to that financial plan that uh, the client and the, and the advisor will go through and just making sure that all those things are aligned to what these beneficiaries will need. And sometimes those conversations for me are not always as comfortable for clients to be um, to be discussing, which means the relationship between the planner, the financial planner and the client is always has to be quite warm and quite strong for them to be comfortable to go through mm-hmm. that journey. Jonathan? Yeah, I think obviously a level of trust needs to try and be established as soon as possible for the clients to, to feel comfortable, to share as much as possible. But even with that trust established, there, there sometimes can be a barrier to disclosure from a client. And I think one of the things that I do uh, to, to encourage full disclosure is to really give the landscape of a worst case scenario if there's not honest and upfront disclosure around you know, what can happen in, in the event of X, Y, and Z. What are the costs of not telling me the full picture here? Or, and once you paint the picture for the client, they understand that you're not there to necessarily try and push a product on them. You are there to give good advice around event X, Y, and Z. And that, and that is that is a crucial element to the discussion. Again, too many times I see clients getting pushed with product before planning, and it should never be that way. Um, the product sells itself when you bring in good financial planning so that the client understands the need for the product that you are then putting on yeah, the table. Yeah. Jonathan and Snetlantla, I will not let this opportunity go uh, to have two of you who have a wealth of knowledge, uh, wisdom, and I guess experience with many of your clients. So I'm going to take uh, this shot at getting some free advice. Um, so uh, Jonathan, let me start off with you and uh, we'll end off with you, Snetlantla. If there's anything I should take from this discussion, um, and, I, and I must take this opportunity to get all the free advice I can get. What would that be? And I think the last nugget of wisdom you've shared, I think is critical. That we have to start with the planning. We have to start with that assessment of where the need is. And then that automatically takes us to the product uh, choice or the product selection process. So Jonathan, um, any tips and nuggets of wisdom for me or any hacks that I can take while I still have you uh, on the line for the next few minutes? Well, I think, you know, the first one, which is probably pretty obvious considering <laughs> I am an advisor, but is to obviously find a robust, experienced, knowledgeable advisor who can give you the proper financial planning that you need. And preferably, you'd want to be finding a certified financial planner um, mm. who has been accredited through the Financial Planning Institute. Um, and then you know that you're getting a certain level of service um, and that is effectively the highest designation that one can achieve in the financial planning industry and uh, you know it's the same as sort of a chartered accountant in the accounting world Um, you know that you're getting a certain level of standard or level of service and advice so I think that would be sort of one pearl of wisdom that I could impart to clients is to try and find a certified financial planner who has some years of experience and you should then be getting a good level uh, of service and advice. I think for me there are two, there are two uh, points to maybe summarize. One is uh, we always think insurance is for, older, it's for older people and I do think as soon as you are working and you've got an investment plan or you're accumulating wealth, you're never too old to consider insurance. 
And then the second part is for me, it's not always about death. There are a lot of other eventualities that you actually need to think about, and I don't think it's always top of mind to think about those uh, eventualities and those risks. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure chatting to the pair of you. Uh, I certainly uh, will have to pick up the phone soon and give uh, one of you, if not both of you, a call, uh, just based on what we've discussed today. But thank you very much for so generously sharing of your time. Thank you. Thanks so much. So. That's it, folks, uh, for this uh, episode of our Wealth Creation podcast here on Investec Focus Radio uh, in uh, our second season, of course, and uh, that's the tail end of episode seven. Big thank you to my two guests, uh, Jonathan Hillier and Snellclan Tasitomo. And for myself, Ayabong Atawe, till we meet again. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of Investec Wealth and Investment International and should not be taken as advice, guidance, or recommendation. Investec Wealth and Investment International, a member of the JSE Equity, Equity Derivatives, Currency Derivatives, Bond Derivatives, and Interest Rate Derivatives Markets, an authorized financial services provider and a registered credit provider.